Why is it so hard for us to do the right thing? Oh, sure, there are occasionally situations in which we're faced with some moral ambiguity or some serious complexity, but most of the time we make it harder than it is. If you have ever listened to the radio show of that font of all modern wisdom, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, then you know what I mean, because Dr. Laura takes no prisoners. People will call up and explain their problems, and Dr. Laura will say, this is your mess, clean it up. Or, you promised to do this, now do it. People who call Dr. Laura are complicating their own lives because they either don't take responsibility for their own lives and choices, or they're not honest with themselves or their partners. It's not moral complexity that trips us up most of the time. It's our own sinfulness and weakness. And this is what Moses is trying to explain to his people in our first reading today from Deuteronomy. He has told them in plain terms what God wants them to do and not to do. There are no secrets. There is no mystery here. God himself has revealed the law, and it's as plain as can be. It is easy. And, of course, we know the history. The Israelites found that they couldn't keep the law, and they followed other gods, and they murdered the prophets and built idols. Was there some nuanced moral argument that let them believe that those things were okay? I don't think so. They knew it was wrong, and they did it anyway. St. Paul wrote about this. He said, the good that I intend to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't intend, I do. It's human sinfulness, and we all suffer from it. We all suffer because of it. So it's not really surprising that Jesus had to confront this when he was teaching. And it starts with this lawyer, this scholar of the law, and I will allow you to mentally insert your favorite lawyer joke here, because I'm not going to. And the man asks Jesus what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus responds by saying, you know what's in the law, do that. It's perfectly clear. Love God with your whole heart and soul and strength and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. It is that simple. Oh, but wait, the lawyer wants to make it more complicated. Let's narrow down who's a neighbor. And look at the response that Jesus makes. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is so familiar to us, and we've been hearing it for so long. And even the phrase Good Samaritan has come to mean somebody that helps somebody by the side of the road, helps out a stranger. And that is not at all what this parable is about. I mean, I'm all in favor of helping the stranger by the side of the road, don't get me wrong, but that is not the point here. To really find out what this parable is about, I think it's really important to look at the literary form of the parable. That's often the key to understanding what's really in the scriptures. So if we take off the pious glasses for the moment, what is the literary form of the parable of the Good Samaritan? It's a joke. It's one of the oldest joke forms in the world. You may know it under the, the guise of, 
A priest and a minister and a rabbi are out playing golf. An American, a French guy, and a Polish guy are up in an airplane that's going down, and there are only two parachutes. It's an ethnic joke. And you know how the joke is going to end, because that's part of the literary form, even before you get to the punchline, because the butt of the joke is always the third guy. And the listeners of Jesus, when he's telling this story, they know how it's going to end, too. They believe right up until the end that the point of the joke is to make fun of the Samaritans, to make them look foolish. The Jews of that time hated the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with them. And you can bet that they used ethnic jokes to poke at them just as people do today. But what happens? The same thing that happens in all of the parables. Jesus turns their expectations upside down. Remember, this began with the question, who is my neighbor? And everybody seems to think that the poor guy by the side of the road is the neighbor. So when Jesus asks who was neighbor to him, the answer comes back, the one who showed compassion. That's the real answer. And that's the point of the parable. The Samaritan is your neighbor. It's not about the guy who was robbed. It's about the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans and Jesus saying, that is not acceptable anymore. And this is the point that Jesus is making. My neighbor cannot any longer be limited to my family, my ethnic group, my party, my country, my sexual orientation, or my anything. If there is anyone that we are still feuding with or excluding, or reserving just a little bit of hatred for, then we haven't heard the message of the gospel and we haven't brought it into our hearts. As St. Paul writes to the Colossians, it pleased God by means of Christ to reconcile everything in his person, everything I say both on earth and in heaven. So if there's anyone that we're willing to leave unreconciled, then we are still not loving God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. We've all heard the phrase, charity begins at home. But have you thought about what that really means? Charity begins at home doesn't mean take care of your own people first, because that's not charity. That's simply fulfilling your natural obligations. Charity begins at home means that home is where we learn charity. It's where we teach our children to be charitable. In a time in our country when we are no longer welcoming the stranger or doing much to care for our neighbors, it is time for charity to begin at home again. And the difficulty, of course, is that we want to make this complicated. We have great rationalizations for hating or excluding or avoiding the people that we do. We can construct elaborate rationalizations and find arguments for extending God's reconciling love to less than everyone. And most of those reasons and rationalizations have to do with our own perceived victimization or our fears or our need for revenge.
But where does that get us? Ask the good Christians of Kosovo or Russia or Rwanda or Ethiopia or, I don't know, Texas. It's really simple. God's love is unbounded. And God's desire for reconciliation isn't limited. And our responsibility as followers of Christ is to love in the same way. Do this and you shall live.